folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism in order to find common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And today, boy, we got our work cut out for us in that department. If we're talking about bias, extremism, divides, and a lack of common ground, there may be no more iconic duo than Christianity and Islam. That is right. For over a millennia, the tension between these two sky daddy sects has sky, been a sky major. Yes, yeah, sky daddy. I like sex. it. You I like, like it. it. Has been a major factor in both world history and politics. So today, we're going to take a hard look at the narrative surrounding the extremism that we're seeing from these two groups and figure out where those narratives miss the mark and where they're spot on. And we're going to do our very best not to look like assholes while we do it. <laughs> That's right. And it's hard not to, when it comes to to this subject, it's a little bit touchy. It is. Um, and I've got to come out the gate saying like, I might have a little bit of bias here. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty heavily biased against religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the course of preparing for this episode and doing my research, I really tried to look past that um, and, and, and take things as they are. It's really yeah. hard. I probably got some blind spots. No, I hear you, man. I mean, like, you know, as I've said on the show before, I, I grew up in the church. Then I decided that I was, you know, something akin to an atheist there for a little while. And then now I'm somewhere and I, I'm all over the place. I'm going <laughs> to probably sound like a mess today, but we'll do the best we can. That's right. So, so. we're, we're going we're gonna to try to cover things in detail, too. But this is not a deep dive into Islam itself. So right. there's obviously going to be a lot of things we don't talk about today. Um, and, and probably important parts of the conversation that are left out. Uh, we've mm-hmm. only got an hour, hour and a half. Uh, so we're going to do the best with the time we, we have and mm-hmm. uh, try to make a case. Yep. Before we do that, though, we wanted to give you guys a big thank you for continuing to you know hit us with emails and messages and everything. That's right. The uh, support on the Patreon was great. Uh, we found out today the bill for printer ink is going to be $79. <laughs> so hooray, hurrah. We, uh, we do have expenses to cover, and we thank you for helping us cover those expenses. I also want to say uh, join us on the Facebook group. Search Sense and Theory on Facebook. Uh, hit the like button. Follow the conversation. We've had a lot of really really good conversation in there. And uh, we are actually kind of posting, uh, you know, the Democratic candidates videos uh, and town hall meetings as they come out. So uh, that's pretty cool. You can just pop in the page and, and you'll have a lot of that stuff pop up in your feed. Join the conversation. Tell us what you think. Yeah. So when we start to talk about Christianity and Islam um, to to, you know, they're both Abrahamic religions, right? They both come from the same place. But they've been at odds for, like I said, well over a millennia. But when you look at them, there are a lot of similarities still. That's right. You know, obviously, they, they both still believe in that one main sky daddy up there. And they, they both have this conservative streak that run through them and, and oftentimes uh, can, can define both of them in our imaginations. You know, the, the conservative rules about dress and so on and so forth. Sure. And, and you know, it's odd. Really, that that they find like these narrow margins over which to argue so vehemently over. Right. But I think, you know, what what helps to begin with is that we is is we should look at these two things and realize how much of the same beast they can be at times. Mm. And so I think if you take, you know, an issue like say child marriage or and or I mean, you know, call it what it is in some cases, straight up pedophilia, like right. sanctioned pedophilia you start to see the similarities between the two. That's right. And I, I don't think you have to look very far to find, uh, you know, child marriage in Christianity. 
Right. Um, in America, some some half of the states don't have child marriage laws. We're right. still marrying children in, in some states. Uh, and those are overwhelmingly evangelical Christians uh, taking part in these child marriages. Right. No, looking at the numbers, uh, between 2000 and 2015, over 200,000 minors were legally married in the United States. As of January 2019, 48 out of 50 states have exceptions in their laws which allow children to marry in certain circumstances such as parental consent, judicial consent, pregnancy, etc. Uh, of those 48 states, 17 have no minimum age for children to marry. That's wild. That means yeah. nine-year-olds are on the table if, 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 in a lot of cases if parents sign it away, you know? Right, right. And I don't think, I mean, you know, like you said, I mean, I don't think we have to think long and hard about like, why those laws are there and who exactly is, you know, taking use of them, you know, sure. they're, they're most strongly, I know, um, here in Kentucky and Tennessee, you had, you know, yeah, found we, groups opposing a law change. Right. And those were conservative Christian groups opposing, uh, raising the age of, of marital consent to 18. Right. Um, and they said, well, in some cases, you know, 16 year old girls should be able to marry, uh, adults with the parents' consent. Sometimes that's the best thing, and they're in love, and this and that and the other. Mm -hmm. um, but overwhelmingly, the only the only groups that were that were lobbying to stop these laws were conservative Christian groups. Right, right. And I think so. Again, as we look out at you know the Islamic world, we see roughly the same kind of trend. We know uh, in the Middle East and North Africa, twenty four percent of women were in a marriage before the age of eighteen. Like off the top uh, of the countries that's, with the that's highest, high numbers. We don't is. have numbers approaching that here right. of the countries with the highest rates of child marriage. Six of the top 10 and all of the top four are predominantly Muslim countries. Uh, the top country is Niger, where 77 percent of women were in a marriage before the age of 18. Uh, 30 percent were in a marriage before the age of 15. Mm. Um, it is le absolutely legal in Saudi Arabia, Chad, Iran and Yemen. And it is prevalent in sub-Saharan Africa, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. Now, that's not to say that all Muslim countries practice, or, you know, all Muslims practice child marriage. They obviously don't. They clearly don't. Right. However, uh, it is, it's a strong threat. It's as strong as saying that, you know, the number of child marriages, and, and I'm guessing here, I don't have the actual stat, but I would say that the number of actual child marriages on the ground are much higher in Alabama and Georgia and Mississippi than they are in Massachusetts. <laughs> right. You know right. what I mean? So Yeah, I, I think that's a fair statement to make. Yes. I don't think anyone's challenging you on that. And and that's to say nothing of the Catholic Church, right? right? When it comes to, you know, children and sex. I mean, so according to a 2004 research study by the John Jay College of Criminal Justice, uh 4,392 Catholic priests and deacons Active in active ministry between 1950 and 2002 have been plausibly, which means that the the accusation was neither withdrawn nor disproven, but plausibly accused of underage sexual abuse by 10,667 individuals, and that is before the recent Pennsylvania case, which brought to light, you know, I forget how many thousands more. Right, you know? and I think the interesting thing about these numbers um, that you brought up um, is that. They roughly shake out to the same rate of of child abuse in the general population, right? right. So something like four percent of of priests uh, are accused of molesting kids, mm -hmm. and something like four percent 
of of the adult, population, of the population at, large. at yeah. large also engage in in child molestation, uh, which to me is a pretty scarily high number uh, yeah. in general. But I think it's 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 interesting to point out that there may there may not be anything special about Catholicism. Mm-hmm. That uh, that causes child molestation. Although the overwhelming majority of molestation cases in the general population are with with girls, right. so it is it is definitely a weird thing with boys. But the interesting thing with the Catholic Church um, is that they've worked really hard to cover it up, right? Um, and not only cover it up, but uh, spent millions of dollars lobbying against laws that did things like increase the uh, the statute of limitations. For these crimes, um, so so that kind of that kind of takes things out of the realm of like, oh, this is just, I, and I say normal behavior, but this right. is the same behavior that the population at at large e- right. exhibits. Right. Well, yes, but well, the Catholic Church and, and an institution—don't get me wrong—an institution <clears throat> uh, has a tendency to cover up its own iniquities, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's going to happen. Uh, and they also want to save money. They don't want to pay out uh, court cases. So right. I'm sure the lawyers are all over, you know, the lobbying and things like that. Yeah. Well, to put to put a little bit finer point on it, I think there is nothing inherent in Catholicism that that necessarily drives somebody to molest a child, I think. Now, there is, you know, I, obviously people argue and debate over the, the priest's vow of celibacy and whether or not that that drives someone. But I think that argument to me is eerily reminiscent of the, you know, men can't help themselves, but force themselves on women who dress provocatively. You know, it's like a man just can't be celibate without finding some outlet for it. You know what I mean? Like it's, I don't know. It's weird, but I think what's, there's an interesting comparison to make because if you have the Catholic organization, the institution enabling it, then in a way there is something in Catholicism that helps drive mm. it along, right? Mm. And so I think what we find is we find the same thing in the Islamic world with the child marriages. I don't think, I think there are plenty of people who are Islamic who don't believe in child marriage. Right. But there is a mechanism in place where, where institutions can, if that is their interpretation, that child marriage is, is allowed and prescribed under Islam or whatever it be, you know. Sure, and be, Muhammad with his, with his, you know, nine-year-old wife. Right. Well, now you have an apparatus much, you know, like the Catholic Church. Now you have your local imam or whatever saying it's okay. Right. You know an, what I mean? An apparatus and, as a moral authority, nonetheless. Right, right. Exactly. I think uh, another place where we find the two in a lot of agreement is on the subject of homophobia. Um, you know, it, obviously for, for years uh, there have been all sorts of problems regarding Christianity and homosexuality. That's right. We're talking about like conversion therapy, and and this is all the way up to till about 1981. Uh, here in the United States, you had like ice pick lobotomies, chemical castration with hormonal treatment, um, the, the the application of electric shock to the hands and or genitals. Come on, nausea-inducing drugs administered simultaneously with the presentation of homoerotic stimuli. Wow, the clockwork orange approach. <laughs> right, right. So you're going to make them watch porn with their eyelids, like, you know, pinned open and then yeah. give them shock when they get an erection. Like, yeah. this was some pretty um, dark ages stuff as early as 1981. As recently as, yeah, yeah. And and we have, we we've kind of moved away from it, but I mean, you know, now... Uh, you know, for instance, more recent clinical techniques, I have it written here, like, uh, psychoanalytic therapy, spiritual interventions, such as prayer and group support and pressure and stuff. And that's a lot softer. 
it is a lot than softer, torture. But at the same time, it's still uh, very damaging to especially young uh, homosexual people who are starting to figure out who they are and everything. And now you got this group that's trying to pray the gay away. Yeah, or telling them they're them evil, they're, they're going wrong. to hell. And-, and think about that sitting in like a, a clinical setting. You're sitting there with somebody who's supposed to be a therapist. And they're saying, well, the problem is, is that, you know, you like you're the a things sinner. that, yeah, you're a sinner and that's the problem, <laughs> you know, so you've got all kinds of people with just these repressed notions and everything. And it, it really is a barbaric practice as much as, you know, we discussed before about the law out in California about restricting, uh, conversion therapy literature from being sold in bookstores and stuff. You know, it's, it's a, it's a weird line about as far as like where religion can say, you know, this is what we believe. But I think once you start like screwing with people's heads to that extent, you've crossed that line. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, I tend to agree. very clearly. Um, we, we've seen for sure uh, a constant problem with hate crimes in the United States uh, directed towards people in the LGBTQ community. And I think in the main over the last, you know, or since our country's been founded, that that is driven largely by that religious element in our society. Well, yeah. So we found that religious fundamentalism is actually the strongest predictor of negative implicit evaluations of homosexuals relative to heterosexual individuals. Right. Um, and, and that speaks volumes. Yeah. And, it's, and, and, and no doubt, it's actually it's on a bit of a more visceral level. When you start to look at the breakdown, 71% of anti-LGBTQ hate crimes are crimes against persons rather than crimes against property. So, for instance, when we look at racial hate crimes or religious uh, motivated hate crimes, hate crimes towards Jewish people or Muslims or what have you, uh, those numbers are only 64 and 29 percent respectively. So the overwhelming majority of anti-gay um, hate crimes are at the person. It is right. a personal attack. You are beating the hell out of them. Right. And we're we're, we're talking, you know, Matthew Shepard right. dragged behind a truck. I don't know right. if a lot of our listeners are old enough to remember that, but yeah, uh, yeah. that was a that was a huge wake up call to me. You know, seeing that on the news and and those those crimes are largely perpetrated by Christians. Yeah. No. And, as and, a result of their of their views towards homosexuality. Absolutely. Now, when we shift over to Islam. Uh, we find that no fewer than 40 out of 57 Muslim-majority countries or territories have laws that criminalize homosexuality. Uh, they prescribe punishments ranging from fines and short jail sentences to whippings and more than 10 years in prison or death. Um, under Sharia, uh, Islamic law, those engaging in same-sex uh, sexual acts can be sentenced to death in nearly a dozen countries or in large areas of them. And we're talking like Iran, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Sudan, uh, Nigeria, southern parts of Somalia, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Afghanistan, Qatar, the UAE. Uh, Death is also the penalty in the territories in northern Iraq and Syria controlled by ISIS. Yeah. And I think I think a lot of times uh, the the idea is that you have ISIS, you know, driving that. And I think. What we need to look at is I think how we think traditionally about like, you know, the religious right here in America, uh, evangelical Christians and so on and so forth, their views towards homosexuality. I think in a sense, we we need to make sure that we apply that to the the religion of Islam as well. Sure. Because absolutely. I think, you know, in 2013, the Pew Research Center surveyed the beliefs of Muslims in 36 countries with a significant Muslim population or majority um, asking about their views and about homosexuality in 33 out of the 36 countries, 
more than 75% of those surveyed answered that homosexuality was morally wrong. And in only three did more than 10% of those surveyed uh, believe that homosexuality was morally acceptable. So these, again, these two religions have very much so the same outlook when it comes to, to that, right. when it comes to homosexuality. And I think, I think the problem is, is that we allow the situation here in America to kind of skew our perspectives of what religion can be, right? So if I go to Uganda, which is a primarily Christian nation, I will find much, if not more so, the same intolerance towards homosexuality that I'll find in some of these Islamic countries. And so we tend to take what moderation we've seen with religious fanaticism here in America and think of all religions. And and apply it outward. And and apply it outward when that is not necessarily the case in other countries around the world right. and certain parts of Georgia. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's not the case everywhere. You know, right. I'm glad we've made the strides that we've made. And, and strides we have made. Uh, yeah. The Baptist church recently split on allowing gay clergy. Right. Um, and that's, you know, that's a huge moderation uh, for Christianity. Um, modesty culture, you've yeah. got uh, similarities there as well. I mean, yeah. the hijab. Head scarves covering your face, you know, covering your ankles, covering your arms. We see the same thing in right. Christian religions, uh, g- quite prevalent. No, in- I've said uh, un- very clearly, my mom, uh, we were, you know, my family at times was Pentecostal. We'll go with that. Uh, but anyway, my mom uh, in the 60s and 70s was absolutely forbidden from wearing pants. Yeah. I mean, she just was. I mean, she had to wear a skirt. It had to come, you know, practically down to her ankle. Um, yeah, uh, so far below the knee and stuff. And there was absolutely a dress code. And the idea behind modesty culture, again, is that idea that, um, well, I mean, you know, there's a few, depending on who you talk to, but what it, what I think it amounts to is, is that men can't be trusted. Right. And that With women the have to hide of women, their right. beauty, you know what right. I mean? And all this stuff. And it just, there, there are some other angles too. I mean, there's the, you know, there's the idea that your beauty should be saved for, you know, for the man that you'll share your life with. Yeah. But that Which is <laughs> might a, just a, be smokescreen. It is a whole world better. of difference to <laughs> right. me. Yeah. Right. I do. Uh, the, actually, I think if there is a case, you know, for me to be made uh, with modesty culture, it's kind of, you know, like the, the, how do you pronounce it? The Sikhs or the, yeah, it's the Sikhs, I think it's right? the Sikhs, yeah. yeah. The Sikhs, we'll uh, go with that. you know, they they have very uh, definitive beliefs about cutting hair and stuff like that because of your body being a temple and everything. So sure. like, and you know, the yarmulke and the caps in Islam, uh, you know, they believe you should cover your head and all that good stuff. So like, I understand it um, from a standpoint of this is a holy vessel and you should treat it in a certain way. But to me, the hijab and the burqa and whatnot have always just come across as promoting rape culture, you know, yeah, I can kind of see that. I mean, on yeah. the other hand, like, there's nothing like a really beautiful woman woman to just make you blubber in yeah. public. So, like, cover that <laughs> yeah. shit up and 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 don't let me make a fool of myself. Like, <laughs> totally okay with it. No, I I jest. I say that in jest. I'm yeah. I'm not okay with it. Like, I feel like um, if a woman wants to cover herself up when she when she walks out of the house. Feel free. Yeah, it's do always that. your choice. Um, Absolutely. If you start to say you must cover yourself, otherwise you will be punished. I have huge problems with that. Yeah. I, I want to wear what I want. I think in America, freedom, liberty, justice. Right. Um. You know, modesty culture seems really incompatible 
whether we're talking about Christianity or we're talking about Islam, right. um, seems really incompatible with the fundamentals of American democracy. Yeah. And I think there's an idea that because, it, you know, in some uh, predominantly Muslim countries or Islamic countries, uh, it is against the law. Some it isn't. And there's an idea that, you know, it's it's kind of in this quasi gray area. And, you know, to me, I don't know. I think the data kind of pushes it a different way, if you ask me. Uh, there was a recent survey from the University of Michigan, um, and they found that in seven Muslim-majority countries, Tunisia, Egypt, Iraq, Lebanon, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey, uh, most people prefer that a woman completely cover her hair, but not necessarily her face. And I think that when you get into that, that, that what do you, culture of peer pressure, that whether or not there's a law in the books— doesn't really make a lot of difference. I, I think. Well, you know, I think that's true. There's something to be said for social pressure, right? And in yeah. some cases, social pressure uh, can be even more effective at changing behaviors yeah. than uh, than punitive measures. Yeah. Well, clearly, by the time my mom was, you know, coming up through church in the '60s and '70s, I don't think there was a law in the books. I could be wrong, Beanzo. Feel free to check. I don't think there was a law in the books that said she couldn't wear pants. Right. But it didn't matter for her, did it? You <laughs> know right. what I mean? That's right. So, and I think, you know, again, this is something where um, we tend to, we tend to get, uh, uh, we think we've got it licked. We think we've, we've moved past it, but that's not to say that there aren't still Christian sects around the country that are still promoting that. In fact, the church, it's funny because I, I don't about, see a lot of chicks, uh, you know, with the long, long skirts and, uh, covering up their well, necks and stuff. Let's like, not forget that the, there was a very popular show on TLC a while back, uh, with the 19 kids. Yeah. And I think they subscribe to that belief. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, we tend to think of them as, as weirdos, but the, the, the fact is, is that they're out there. I mean, look at, here is a quote from the 2015 Discipline of the Evangelical Wesleyan Church here in America. All right. This is what they said. They said, we require our women to appear in public with dresses of modest length, sleeves of modest length, modest necklines, and modest hose. The wearing of split skirts, slacks, jeans, artificial flowers, or feathers is forbidden. <laughs> Moreover, we require our men to conform to the scriptural standards of decent and modest attire. We require that when they appear in public, they wear shirts with sleeves of modest length. We require that all our people appear in public with sleeves below the elbows. Women's hemlines are to be modestly below the knees. Our people are forbidden to appear in public with transparent or as modest apparel, including shorts or bathing suits. Can't go to a beach. <laughs> Parents, well, you can in, in full clothes, <laughs> yeah. in full attire. Parents are required to dress their children modestly in conformity with our general principles of Christian attire. We further prohibit our people from participating in the practices of body piercing, tattooing, or body art. No wonder religion's declining in America. <laughs> yeah, man, no <laughs> doubt. But but they are out there, and it's, it's very much so affecting people's lives. You yeah. know, every day, I think if we... If we kind of sweep it under the rug, you know, then then we're not really dealing with it, you right? Know? And 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 modesty culture is one thing, but I think no extreme of 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 religion uh, surpasses the level of of terribleness and evil as religious violence, which Absolutely. happens every day on this planet. Mm -hmm. um, whether we're talking about jihad. Uh, whether we're going back to the KKK, burning yep. crosses in people's yards, mm -hmm. um, 
whether we're talking about anti-abortion bombings, mm-hmm. uh, which have happened on behalf of the Christian faith in this country for years and years and years, right? Um, or or the recent church and mosque attacks we've seen right. uh, across well, the world. You say recent. We've seen a recent upsurge. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there have been church and mosques, you know. And and I think also, you know, you got to look at what's happened in, in Christchurch, New Zealand. You got to look at what just happened with the Easter attack in Sri Lanka. Um, more whether they're more prevalent or we're hearing about them more, or they're becoming bigger and flashier. I don't know, but there is absolutely an uptick in at least the last 20, 30 years of religious violence. And I think what, I, what I mean by that is versus, you know, we would hear about like, you know, a, a, a sectarian conflict in, in Kosovo or, you know, there's some kind of religious violence over in the Balkans, or there's a religious civil war going on in Africa and stuff. Places where there's unrest, there's there's two groups struggling for control of a nation, and so they divided along religious lines. These attacks are more, it's it's not about gaining control of a country. Right. It's, it is directed, it's, it's to wipe out the other religion. Right, and you know? to scare people off, to scare people from, from exercising their faith in public, uh, to drive them underground, and ultimately drive them away from the religion, I, I think, is is the ultimate goal. You know, in the KKK's case, um, you wanted to drive the black folks out of your neighborhood. Right. Um, and I think largely, when you're talking about religious violence, that's that's the end goal, is to terrorize and eliminate uh, the other side from, from practicing in public. Absolutely. So I think all these things... <laughs> go to show why we here in America, for the most part, are huge fans of the separation of church and state. (laughs) That's right. right? (laughs) Yeah. Thankfully, the founding fathers uh, uh, decided to kind of get ahead of of this problem. Um, And and despite largely being Christians themselves, Mm -hmm. um, built into the framework of our nation um, a way to separate religion from government. Right. um, and, And allow the practice of religion... Uh, while at the same time upholding laws and standards equally uh, for for all people, man, yeah. woman. Well, it's it's what's interesting about it is I think that at the time, which is it's interesting if you go back in history, we talk about the pilgrims coming over here as victims of religious persecution, right? And and, and they were. Don't get me wrong. There was a serious problem over in Europe. Uh, with the the constant warring and fighting between Protestants and Catholics. <laughs> and so religious freedom was very important to them in Christianity. You know what I mean? <laughs> but when you start throwing in other groups, you start talking about Judaism, you start talking about Islam and all this stuff. Atheists. I, oh, atheists, boy. Absolutely atheists. I think um, you know a lot of those guys might have pumped brakes. But it doesn't matter because they set up, you know, the establishment clause in the First Amendment basically says our government isn't going to enforce, you know, any religion or what do you call it? Establish a religion. Um, and I think what their intentions were there are moot at this point because we've decided that, you know, when you say that. We're taking you to mean right. we're not going to establish a religion. That's you right. Know what I mean? Yeah, and whether whether the founding fathers realized that uh, you know all men are created equal was going to be used to uh, to dismantle a system of slavery, <laughs> right, right? Is is just as uh, irrelevant, right, right? right? We have taken the American values and 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 we've done we've done well with them. Yeah, and I think this one in particular, the separation of search, search and state. Um, 
serves to enrich us and serves to better us while while at the same time allowing people to practice freedom of religion in in whatever way you know if you want to wear uh, skirts down to your ankles, like yeah, you, you can, yeah, go ahead but and do your uh, thing. you're not going to enforce it via <laughs> the government, sir. Right. It's not going to happen. Now, that's not to say that we've had an easy time of it, right? Because we still, well, and we're not effective always either. I mean, if you look at abortion legislation, for right. example, I think there's plenty of examples uh, where religion creeps creeps back into politics, you know, and yeah. and we've got to do our diligence to to kind of disentangle it and you know pull it out from the cracks and crevices, right? Well, it leaves, it leaves us kind of with a question, like, are we, <clears throat> the struggles that we've had in, in, the, in the place where we're at, are we a, a Christian nation, or are we a nation that has been predominantly Christian turning into something else? You know what I mean? And I, I think, for me, the resounding answer is that while, yes, there was a heavy Christian influence at the time of our founding, I think our history to date shows us somewhat, I mean, moving away from that, trending in another direction. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's interesting, though. 71% of America today identifies as Christian, right? Right. So that's a huge, huge majority. So in in that way, we are definitely a Christian nation. Um, 88% of Congress Mm -hmm. identifies as, as Christian. Uh, 23% of America identifies as unaffiliated with religion, while only 1% of Congress uh, identifies as unaffiliated with religion. So right. I-, I think it's a complicated question. Are we a Christian theocracy? Absolutely not. We've built in protections against that. Mm-hmm. Um, are we a Christian nation? I think there's an argument to be made that uh, a majority of the nation is Christian. Well. Okay. So got, how are so how are your your morals and your standards um, going to ever be separate from your politics? I have I well that's true, but I have I quibble with the numbers there, right? So for first off, seventy one percent of people say that they're Christian, right? I, I can go ahead and tell you that seventy one percent of America is not attending church on Sunday. If you start looking at attendance, figures, that's true, right? Eighty eight percent. What was that? Eighty eight percent. Eighty nine percent of Congress. If you want to get elected <laughs> in this country, one of the ways you do that is by signifying that you are a virtuous person, right? Well, traditionally, the way to do that is to say that you're a Christian. Sure. I, I just seriously. What church you go to, Bob? Yeah. Yeah. What church do you go to? And, you know, we've seen what it, uh, Trump is going to the, the, what, the D.C. Cathedral on Sundays <laughs> or so, or has been at least once or twice. So, I mean, do you think that, you know, Donald Trump is a godly man? You know what I mean? There are other considerations. Uh, right-wing radio sure believes it. You know, the right-wing Christian <laughs> yeah, radio no, sure believes that. it. <laughs> but there are other considerations when it comes to being a Christian in politics, right? So I, I'm making no argument that that is where we have come from. But I think when I start to look around the country, um, I think that, again, I say, I think we're very much so trending away. And I mean... Well, I think you can look at things like um, like the legalization, uh, enshrining of the, the rights of gays to marry, right. um, you know, speaks volumes yeah. about where we're at as a nation um, with laws versus religion. Yeah. Well, um, and I don't think a Christian country lets abortion sit on the books for, well, you know, lets the Roe versus Wade stand for 40 years. Right. You know, I mean, so think about it. Are you telling me, like, the, basically, Republicans could not build a majority in Congress strong enough 
to overturn Roe versus Wade through legislation, even though they absolutely have the ability to do so over the last 40 years. That says a lot about whether or not we're a Christian nation. It, it does. And I think people would say, you know, well, it's only through the efforts of the Democrats and da da da. Well, right. yeah. Bingo. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. You know? Um, so I do think you get into things like, you know, you get into in God we trust being on the money. Uh, I hate you know, it. One nation under God being in the pledge. Yeah, come and on. Stuff like that. No establishment of, of religion, you know. Yeah. What? Uh, but in God we trust is on the money. Well, and- I don't, I actually, okay, so I have a problem with the pledge, right? I have a problem with having to stand up and put your hand over your heart. And, and say, say under God? And say under God, that I, that I carry out things under God. In God we trust, passively on the money, I don't have as big a problem, right? Because I think, again, like we said, we do have to acknowledge the fact that a large swath of the country is, you know, theistic. They do, they do believe in a God. There's almost uh, whether, a quarter be, of us who are unaffiliated with religion. And that doesn't mean they don't believe in God, however. I think right. the numbers for, you know, pure atheists are, are lower than that. Yeah. But still, that's 23% of the population who's just like, okay, yeah, in, in God we trust, what? Yeah, no, I, I I understand the argument. It's on every dollar bill. <laughs> I understand the argument, but I'm saying once you throw in the 71 percent, uh, the Christians, the however many percentage of us are Jewish, however many percentage of you know, in God we in God we trust does not necessarily establish a religion. In my mind, I mean, which That's one true. did it establish? Right, right. Which which God do we <laughs> you know trust in? No, do, in Thor, we trust. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, do I think that it should be our motto? Um, no, not necessarily, but like I'm not losing sleep over that. Yeah, I'm you not losing I mean? sleep over it. What what I like about um about changing things like that, I think that it is a step towards um increasing the separation of church and state. And 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 there's a reason that that I dislike the church creeping into the state. Um mm-hmm. it's because all sorts of wonky things start happening when you've got a religious leader. Um, you know, spewing to his supporters and feeding directly into government. We get all throughout history. We've had, you know, that's gone awry time right. and time and time again. So to me, like as a symbolic gesture, if the 88% of, of Christians in Congress stood up and said, yeah, it's okay. We can, we can take that off the money. To, to me, that says a lot. It's like a symbolic, uh, you know, it's like bringing down the statues of Saddam Hussein, right? right? right. <laughs> like, well, I'll let you know, as far as, as far as court cases, okay, when it comes to court cases and, and these two issues, uh, the court, the Supreme Court has uh, time and time again um, struck down things like posting the Ten Commandments, right? right. So posting the Ten Commandments in school or posting, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments on the courthouse lawn and stuff, the Supreme Court basically falls back to a middle of the 20th century case, I think it was Lemon versus Kurtzman, and they use something called the Lemon Test. And whenever one of those cases comes up before them, they basically go through these three criteria, and that's what they use more or less to decide the case. The criteria are, does the law have a secular purpose? If not, it violates the Establishment Clause. Okay. Is the primary effect either to advance religion or to inhibit religion? If so... It violates the Establishment Clause. Okay. Does the law foster an excessive governmental entanglement with religion? Mm. If so, it violates the Establishment Clause. And I feel really good about that test being in place, or at least being a, you know, a part of doctrine. Obviously, we've talked about the Supreme Court before. They can kind of use it or not use it. I think there was a, a Ten Commandments case where they decided not to use it you know, for 
we're not going to go into that. But anyway, um, but I think it's a good thing that it's there because I agree with all three of those statements. Right. right? And that, I think it's interesting when you criteria. look at those when when you look at those cases. A lot of times it's conservative judges. Right. Um, that strike these these Ten Commandment situations down. Yeah, yeah. No, well, there have been, you know, like Sandra Day O'Connor, for instance, was uh, very much so on, on board with striking things like that down. Um, you know, an example like William Reinquist or, or Scalia, they made the case sometimes in cases like that, um, that because America does not establish a religion doesn't mean that it has to seek out and reject a religion. Mm. Like it doesn't have to, uh, you know, wipe out any profession of religion. And I think that's kind of the weird gray area in going back to in God, we trust balls. Let me, let me read a quote from a judge in an, in God, we trust case. Right. All right. Okay. Uh, he said, as a matter of historical tradition, the words, Oh, I'm sorry. This was, uh, this was for the, uh, the pledge. He said, as a matter of historical tradition, the words under God can no more be expunged from the national consciousness then the words in God we trust from every coin in the land. Then the words so help me God from every presidential oath since 1789 or the prayer that is open to every congressional session or legislative business since 1787. These things, I, I, these things happen because of our Christian moorings, right? Because of the fact that we, again, have been a predominantly Christian nation. But are, they, are those things affecting the lives of everyday people mm. on the ground. I, I understand your symbolic argument, but for me, kind of the threshold is, and I disagree with him there about the pledge. I think if you're asking someone <laughs> yeah. to say under God in the pledge, yeah, that with is your hand over your heart. Yeah. You have clearly crossed that line. Yeah, but that's in, establishment. But if, you know, if Congress opens with a prayer, you know, I, I, I don't like it, but you know, if most of Congress wants to open with a prayer, it's like the 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 student unions, uh, right? It's like, wanting to have a prayer before school to me, you know. Yeah, it kind of is, except <laughs> except Congress is the government, yeah. and the students aren't. And to me, if you're a student group, you want to establish a prayer session, go right ahead. Right. If you're a teacher or administrator at the school and you mm -hmm. want to establish a prayer session, sorry for you, bub. Not going to happen. Like, Well, what if they want to do it? What if what if it's completely voluntary and it's before school starts? Uh, no. What, if it's an administrator? If it's a teacher. Yeah, that's, that's probably fine. Yeah. Um, now, in, in Congress, though, in our hallowed halls, uh, you know, our hallowed sacred halls, is it off the clock? You know, I don't. Well, to me, what I'm know, saying, man. what I'm saying is, I'm more worried about the legislation they're passing than what they're doing Touché. before Touché. they start and, work. And, and, and I agree I mean? with you 100. percent When we're talking about a level of severity, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd much rather focus on um, passing laws that protect homosexuals from discretion. Yeah. I mean, from discrimination, than focus on removing in God we trust from yeah. the money. Right. And see, uh, and so there, there. I'm glad you bring that up. There is a place where as far as us being a Christian nation where we, we absolutely failed that test. Right. So you can look at sodomy laws that were in place. in I don't know how many States, uh, until 2003 In 2003, there was a U.S. Supreme court decision in Texas, uh, Lawrence B. Texas that struck down Texas's same sex sodomy law, uh, ruling that private sexual conduct is, pr uh, protected by the Liberty and rights implicit in the due process clause of the United States constitution. So sodomy laws, you know, you can, you can, I'm sure there were cases where people were like, well, science says if you look at, but they were driven by religion, man, right. let's, let's face it in all those States. And it was driven by religions, homophobia, you know, right. Christianity's homophobia here in America. 
And that is a place where, and I understand what you're saying about in God we trust being on the money. That's what I'm worried about. You know right. what I'm saying? Like blue laws that won't let businesses open on Sundays. That's <laughs> right. what I'm worried Can't about. Can't sell liquor on Sunday. That's definitely a religious thing that came from nowhere else. And and it's one we've largely moved away from as yeah. America. So so I think these are kind of all pieces of evidence um, saying that, hey, America's not really a theocracy. Yeah. Um, yeah. People practice their religion privately, but largely we make great efforts um, to push religion out of the realm of governance. Um, yeah. Now, I think that's that's <laughs> we're we're not always super successful. No, and it's a fight that we absolutely we have to be vigilant, right? To to use old W's favorite phrase, but it's something where we have to be vigilant. We have to constantly watch and make sure that you know we don't see it seep back in. But you're right. In America today, largely, not only have we seen it be separated, um, you know, for the most part. Um, but we've also seen Christianity itself in America moderate. Yes. Um, you know, while looking up numbers, I found that if we if we look across the spectrum of religions in America, um, the the number one religion in America that opposes homosexuality as a practice says that it's morally wrong is evangelical Christians. Okay. Number two is Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. Um, number three, I believe, is Islam. Islamic America. And those numbers are roughly something like uh, 55%, I think, was the highest for the evangelicals were opposed. Uh, the lowest of the three was Islam at, I believe, 48% were opposed to homosexuality, Americanism. However, I found something really interesting. 71% of Catholics are, are completely fine with homosexuality. That's wild. 71%. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, we have the evangelicals and we have, you know, but, you know, in other places and other religions, uh, Judaism, of course, you know, it was really high. I think it was something in the 80s. We we're OK with homosexuality. You know, we are seeing the moderation of religion here in the United States. Yeah, I think and I think it's interesting because if you look at uh, Muslim majority countries, uh, the numbers of people who accept homosexuality are way lower. I mean, we're talking yeah. like 88, 90%, maybe even 90. Well, no, that's what we had. 97%. I, I just cited, yes, yeah, 75% yeah. Uh, in the, what I believe it was the top seven, you know, Islamic countries said that it was morally wrong to be homosexual. Right. So, so I like that. I, I think, I think America and the values that we have here um, are very good at, at moderating religion. Right. I, I think it's built in. It's baked into our character. Right. Now, that's in America. Yeah. When you look at Islamic fundamentalist nations, mm -hmm. that's not the case at all. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, we, we need to look no further than Brunei, right. who adopted uh, Sharia law and new legislation mandates death by stoning for gay sex and a number of other acts, including rape, adultery, sodomy, extramarital sex, and insulting the prophet Muhammad. Right. Uh, that's a far cry <laughs> yeah. from, from where we're at here. No, and, and I think that that is one of those things that, again, we, we, we get wrapped up in our own experience, in the experience in America, and we tend to overlook the fact that in places that don't have as strong a commitment to that or that don't constantly have that at the forefront of their discussions – um, we see religion run wild. I mean, I, I don't know how else you would characterize that. Uh, the new penal code in Brunei 
also punishes lesbian sex through whipping and theft with amputation and criminalizes teaching children about any religion except Islam. That is a theocratic state. That is what a religious fundamentalist nation looks like, you know? And I think here we are, you know, as Americans in bed with Saudi Arabia, which is one of the, the worst offenders when it comes to that, uh, you know, across the world. I mean, you know, for all the for all the accolades that we want to give Saudi Arabia for giving women the ability to drive a couple years ago, we have to remember that their legal system is just busted. You know, mm. um, the Saudi Arabian legal system is largely uncodified as efforts to codify it began just nine years ago. This means that its rules are murky and justice is applied largely at judges' discretions. Human Rights Watch, in their 2008 report on Saudi Arabian, the Saudi Arabian criminal justice system, noted that the criminal procedure and code introduced in 2002 lacked some of the basic protections, uh, but those what protections were introduced were ignored by judges in any case. Those arrested are often not informed of the crime of which they are accused or given access to a lawyer and subject to abusive treatment and torture if they do not confess. <laughs> At trial, there is a presumption of guilt, and the accused is often unable to examine witnesses and evidence or present a legal defense. And so... Yeah, and the trials are held in secret. Right. Um, it's largely not in the public eye. There's no transparency and oversight. Right. So now, if, if we're doing that, and we have it's completely at the judge's discretion and everything, what happens when you have a severely um, Islamic country like Saudi Arabia... And you have something like Sharia, yeah. right? I mean, you're going to be using sh- Sharia law, or at and least, I, I, I think we need to. I think we need to stop for just a second and 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 talk about Sharia law itself, mm-hmm. um, because I I feel like people have a tendency to to only associate Sharia law with things like stonings, right. um, and cutting off the hands of of thieves and and things. And and don't get me wrong, that's that's part of Sharia law, but. Um, when I looked into it, I found uh, numbers like uh, between 1981 and 92, there were four executions by stoning in Saudi Arabia uh, and 45 amputations for theft uh, in a one-year sample out of 4,925 convictions for theft. Only two hands were cut off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, any hands being cut off, uh, you know, that's cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, and with the murky, don't abide with the murkiness of the system. You know, I, I do wonder if those numbers are accurate. Sure. But enough. Uh, sure. But, uh, you know, I think it was Pew or something where I got those. numbers. it was a yeah. pretty reputable source. They they put boots on the ground. They really right. tried to dig and, and, and find the right answer. So I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to characterize Sharia law as just this barbaric system of, of laws and punishments. So, mm-hmm. you know, what what is Sharia law? Well, it is a system of principles and punishments given to Islam by the prophet Muhammad. So it is inseparable from the religion of Islam, mm-hmm. um, very much a, a part of it. However, interpretations of Sharia law vary greatly across right. the Muslim countries. Um, and, and you can go to a place like Lebanon mm-hmm. and a place like Iran Mm-hmm. Um, and they're treating things very, very differently. So there's there's some nuance there and some gray area, and that makes it really difficult to come to a solid position. Right, right. Well, I think, you know, there. I, I know, for instance, I've seen that, you know, Sharia law is, is mainly used, uh, you know, in matters like family court and, and divorces and marriage and, and stuff like that. And 
Allegedly, Sharia law only applies to Muslims in the countries and, where, where it's And enacted. I think that's, you say allegedly, but I think that's supported um, by all the research that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, it, outwardly, if you're, if you're asking an, a Muslim organization, you know, who Sharia law applies to, um, Muslim organizations will tell you, well, it doesn't apply to non-Muslims. However, right. right. When you go on the ground, um, for example, I have a, a friend who is uh, from Iran, and I was talking to her mother and asking her about her experience going back to Iran. Um, and uh, she's a Zoroastrian, so the Arabs came through and they, you know, they wiped everyone out and 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 established Islam as as the religion. And and she says, well, um, when I go to Iran, I have to wear a headscarf, right? And if I go on Ramadan. I am subject to the rules of Ramadan. So mm-hmm. that reality on the ground, uh, in Iran at least, is yeah. very different from the way uh, you know Islam is is Happening said in to Lebanon, be. You right, know. right. And, and, and whereas in Lebanon, it's very much that way. Uh, you can walk around without a hijab, and no one's going right. to you know take you to Islamic court. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to be subject to Sharia law. So, so I think. It's. I think it's complicated, and right. and I think at its extreme, mm-hmm. Islam's real bad. <laughs> I think. Well, I th- but I think there's a place of moderation where Islam can coexist. Um, you know, and I think a place like Lebanon is a good example. And of course, there are problems there too. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying it's. Uh, you know, it's free of its problems. Right. Um. But what I'm saying is that there there exists a spectrum, um, of of super extreme. To not as extreme. Yeah. Well, I think the problem is is when we single out when we when we which we have a tendency to do, especially in this country, is when we attack Sharia law as Sharia law and, and try to necessarily say, like you were just correcting there just a moment ago, that it is all about the cutting off of hands or, you know, barbaric practices and whatnot. To me, it kind of it's the same animal as, you know, I just gave to you a second ago with the numbers on homosexuality. of the evangelicals condemn homosexuality. 71% of Catholics approve of homosexuality. Mm. So obviously there are different, you know, sects that are going to have different interpretations as you move through any religion and talk about, you know, anything. It's, it's those interpretations are what we have to focus on rather than just saying, ah, Sharia is bunk. Mm. Sharia is garbage, you know? So, for instance, you know, I found uh, online there was a group, I think they were called uh, Muslims for Progressive Values, right? And they were trying to define what Sharia is and kind of dispel some of the myths. And they said, Sharia is not a legal system. It is the overall way of life of Islam, as people understand it, according to traditional early interpretation. Sharia was not revealed by Allah, right? And that's fine. However, when we start to dig into opinion polls, and you know we're going to go back to Pew, um, according to Pew in 2013, in 17 of the 23 countries where the question was asked, at least half of Muslims say Sharia is the revealed word of God. <laughs> you know, in no country are Muslims significantly more likely to say Sharia was developed by men than to say it is the revealed word of God. Also, according to Pew, in South Asia, high percentages in all the countries surveyed support making Sharia the official law including nearly universal support among Muslims in Afghanistan at 99%. Wow. More than 8 in 10 Muslims in Pakistan and Bangladesh also hold this view. 
In sub-Saharan Africa, it's it, at least half the Muslims in most countries said that Sharia should be the law of the land. So and start, support is high in the Middle East as so well. So you start decreasing in some areas, and in in some areas, in in the Arab, uh, you know, in the Arab states, like yeah. uh, you've got a really solidified view right, of this right. thing. And then, so it, it's cool, you know, the Muslims for Progressive Voices, they have this interpretation of Sharia, and I think a lot of American Muslims also have the same interpretation of Sharia, more or less. Sure. You know? and, and, well, and it's interesting because in, in America, religion has traditionally had kind of extrajudicial courts, right? right. So this is not unique um, to Islam. Now, maybe running a country based on it is kind of unique, although you've got Christian countries that are absolutely yeah, have, no, have state-sponsored religion and, you know, religious laws It's and not stuff. unique in history, no. So it's <laughs> certainly, yeah. certainly not unique, but in America, we've got, um, you know, the rabbinical court, right. who historically and, and prior to moderation right. um, would, would stone, mm-hmm. uh, and this is, you know, this is a Jewish court, would stone people for adultery, uh, cut heads off, uh, you know, capital punishment was was big, but what happened in America with the rabbinical court? Um, well, the rabbinical court stepped back and said, "We are not going to prescribe, you know, these physical punitive punishments. We are going to let the nation's laws mm-hmm. um, handle justice in that manner." So right. the rabbinical court still exists. Um, they solve. Uh, disputes between uh, individuals. They solve business disputes, um, marriage dealings, things like that. The Catholic Church has a very similar process with tribunals, uh, where they right. process annulments and you know excommunications. I think are, are the big right. things there. Um, so we very much, you know, I think a lot of people will criticize Islam uh, and Sharia as this like special, uh, special thing that's outside of the norm and. Ah, I don't think it is. I think it's just the case that in America, when we deal with these um, these these religious courts and things, they're already moderated. Right. They've already gone through the process of assimilating into American culture, um, where we pride ourselves on our justice system. As flaws as flawed as it is, yeah. You know, I'm not saying it's perfect, but um, we pride ourselves on that, and we don't allow religion to get in the way. So why should we for Islam? You know, I feel like we should welcome Islam uh, with as open arms as we can also be cautious. Obviously um, countries where uh, Islamic terrorism are huge and they want to murder all the infidels. We ought to be pretty darn careful. Yeah. yeah. Um, But I think largely, you know, you look at Muslim populations and they are self-moderating. Right. Um, You have the highest degree of support of Muslims in the world for homosexuality in America. Right. You know, there's a reason for that. Yeah, I was going to say, given the, yeah, given the impetus, yes, they, they will moderate, but there has to be that impetus. There has right? to be that impetus. That's so right. I think one of the things uh, that we have to ask ourselves is, are we providing them with the impetus for assimilation? And, and I think if you look at the case of Europe, right, uh, what's going on there since they've let the migrants into the country since 2015, um, there, there's not always that foot on the gas pedal for religious moderation. And I think it's because of fear of stoking racism, mm. right? What, what do you mean by that? Well, so for instance, German, Germany and Sweden, since they've allowed the refugees in in 2015, are starting to see upticks in violence and, and crime and stuff across the board. And there seems to be a reluctance on the government's part to admit that that's even a thing, that to, to admit that there exists such a problem, right? Mm-hmm. 
So, for instance, in Sweden since 2015, uh, attacks against Jewish institutions like synagogues are on the rise. Reported rapes in Sweden jumped 10% in 2017, and the country has seen a 34% increase in the last 10 years. And 58% of rape convictions in 2017 were foreign-born assailants. Wow. So, More than half. Yeah. Well, I think, so we have to ask ourselves, you know, we can't just take those numbers and run with them. We have to ask ourselves a few questions. Sweden is a traditionally white, homogenous population, yes. right? So 58% of foreign-born people being convicted of rape and stuff, how much of that is good old-fashioned racism, right? Okay, much- so you mean like, like uh, maybe the same... Kind of problems we're facing here in America, uh, right, you right. know, with with over convicting black people. Right. How much, you know, whether people. we're whether we're over pursuing, uh, you know, suspects because they're foreign born, mm. whether convictions are easier to get because they're foreign born, you know. And I think another thing that we have to look at is when we bring in all these refugees, what efforts are we doing to help them make that transition and make that assimilation? So what we see is we see these large refugee populations in Europe we're also living in poverty. And as yeah, we know, that's a major poor and poverty is a major predictor right. of, of poor behavior. So I don't think that there's anything in, and you know, by refugees, we're, we're basically, we're talking about Syria. We're talking about a lot of Islamic people. And I don't think there's anything, you know, in Islam that necessarily drives gang violence or, you know, there's been an increase in Sweden in the homicide rate. However, the Swedish government, because of fears of, you know, stoking the fires of racism are going to almost comical links to hide that there's been any upsurge at all since the refugees got there. For instance, uh, this is from Politico. Uh, Labor market minister Yiva Johansson appeared on the BBC where she claimed that the number of reported rapes and sexual harassment cases is, quote, going down and uh, was it going down and going down and going down. In fact, the opposite is true, which Johansson later admitted in an apology. Well, that's some Trumpian level <laughs> stuff, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, also from Politico, another spectacular example is an official government website on facts about migration, integration, and uh, crime in Sweden, which alleges to debunk myths about the country. One of the false claims listed by the government is that not long ago, Sweden saw its first Islamic terrorist attack. So basically, the claim is... People were saying that Sweden has seen an Islamic terrorist attack. And right. And the government is saying that's false, right? Um, this is surprising since the Uzbek jihadist Rahmat Akilov has pleaded guilty to the truck, truck ramming that killed five people in Stockholm last April and swore allegiance to the Islamic State prior to the attack. Akilov, who is currently standing trial, has proudly repeated his support for ISIS and stated that his motive was to kill Swedish citizens. He has also had documented contacts with international jihadis. The government's excuse for denying that this was an Islamic terrorist attack in Sweden is that no Islamic group has officially claimed responsibility. That's, that's, that's so weird to me because when you're talking about religious extremism um, and the tendrils are out and, and the recruiters are out mm-hmm. and uh, the propaganda is out, I don't think it matters much if ISIS claims responsibility, right. like did, did the white supremacist groups in America claim responsibility for, for old crazy buddy yeah, who yeah. just, you know, who just shot up a bunch of people? No. Does it matter? 
Right. And not at all. Yes. He has he has claimed membership in the group himself. Yeah. Um and and that's enough. I mean, unless we're talking about a false flag or something like this guy was what trying to make Islam look bad. No. No, right, I right. don't think so. <laughs> like, I, I, we're seeing we're seeing this like reluctance to to state, you know, to call a duck a duck. Uh, in a lot of countries in Europe. so and, and I think it's in response, uh, like you said, to a rising, um, you know, nationalistic uh, white supremacy even. But but this idea that that brown people are bad and, and Muslims are bad uh, in general, blanket statements across the board. And and that's fair to be afraid of that to it me. Is. Like like we want to fight that. I want to fight that. Yeah. Um. I think it's certainly a problem here in America for sure. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, it, there is for sure a problem of brown people and Islamic people being demonized by you know right wing groups and stuff. And and even with even with these things, these things in Europe are being used as ammunition to support the rise of right wing. Oh parties. sure. And and I think and I think this attack. Uh, is going to be necessarily used mm-hmm. um, to foment those racist viewpoints. However, yeah. um, because that is true does not mean we need to hide it. In fact, the opposite is true. By hiding it, then then all of a sudden now you you're giving the racist uh, the racists on the right, you know this this little point and poke and look look it over here they're covering it up even now let me give you a perfect example we can't even have a conversation around it now because on one side you're denying it and on the other side you're blowing it up into this huge uh, you know racist argument that is that is fallacious right let me give you an example of that in germany i mean proves your point to a t so in Germany, uh, we see that uh, 300,000 crimes, 9% of the total, were linked to refugees, asylum seekers in 2016. Uh, federal statistics indicate that of almost 4,000 rapes recorded in the years 2015 and 2016, the percentage of non-national perpetrators jumped in that time from 33 to 38%, right? So this is from the, uh, you know, the Irish Times talking about what An- uh, Angela Merkel is find herself facing in these recent elections. Uh, after allowing in more than 1 million people in the 2015-2016 election, or I'm sorry, 2015-2016, Merkel is battling a growing feeling of insecurity among voters who feel the state is failing to fix cracks that this has caused in the public order in Germany. Uh, Germany is traumatized by how its warm welcome for refugees was plunged into darkness two years ago with the mass groping and rape of young women at New Year's Eve celebrations in Cologne and other cities. A series of terrorist attacks followed in the summer of 2016, some committed by asylum-seeking sympathizers of the so-called Islamic State. Berlin's Christmas market attack of December 2016, in which 12 died, exposed Mm. massive failings by politicians and police. And since then, there have been a steady flow of young male asylum-seekers and refugees involved in killings, rapes, and thefts. The term criminal foreigner is now firmly cemented in public discourse and contributed to a 12.6% rise in support for the far-right alternative for Deutschland last September. So here we see these things are happening. The government is saying, no, 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 it's not the refugees. It's not the migrants and stuff. We We don't want racial violence out in the streets. But people were like, there is an uptick in crime. And the only people who are speaking their language 
are now the far right extreme group alternatives for Deutschland. You know right, what I mean? Right. So you, it's not to say. You so know, in a way, you're pushing people towards the extreme position. You're trying to you're trying to soften. Yeah, they've they've twisted the truth, but in a sense, they're closer to acknowledging the truth than you are. Mm. You know what I mean? So you are creating that situation. Uh, we also see in Germany. You know, this to me was kind of outrageous, but uh, the European Court of Human Rights has decided that criticizing Islam or the prophet Muhammad in a way that hurts the religious feelings of Muslims is legitimately against the law in the 47 European countries over which the court has jurisdiction. On October 25th, 2018, the court upheld an Austrian court's 2011 conviction of a woman for denigration of religious beliefs of a legally recognized religion. Uh Her crime was that she had been giving a seminar titled Basic Information on Islam and said, quote, Muhammad liked to do it with children. The thing with Aisha and child sex, a 56-year-old and a 6-year-old, what do you call that? Give me an example. What do we call that if not pedophilia? Yeah. For this, she was tried, convicted, and sentenced to pay a fine of 480 euros or serve 60 days in prison. And that's kind of a slap on the wrist, but at the same time, Like, well, I can't imagine a government saying you can't criticize Islam. I mean, that's that's weird. Now, to be fair, it's weird and kind of scary. To be fair, I mean, that law states that uh, it is uh, you can be convicted of denigrating a the religious beliefs of a legally recognized religion. So to me, that means it applies to Christianity as well. Sure. Yeah, better so, not talk crap about Jesus. So are we not, in trying to protect feelings and protect sensitivity to culture there, are we not protecting a religious organization or institution to a point where now it's impinging on impending on somebody's free speech? Oh, absolutely. You're you're impinging on her free speech. And 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 the things she said are in the Quran. Right. You know, <laughs> Muhammad's wife being seven years old is 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 pretty well documented yeah this isn't a falsity she's she's spewing this is like feelings don't care about your facts buddy (laughs) (laughs) no absolutely i think really though the the worst case of of this phenomenon that we're seeing in europe is taking place in england right or at least did take place in england they're doing they're doing a pretty good job of cleaning up now but there's a case called the rotherham child sexual exploitation scandal uh, that basically broke a few years back. And what it amounted to is that for years, since the 80s, uh, late 80s, early 90s, um, there were rings of British Pakistani men who were snatching up um, young, typically uh, uh, white girls, um, ages like 9 to 14, um, and grooming them to be sex slaves, right. basically. And... um people were complaining there's multiple reports that were getting uh, you know filed with town councils and police departments and stuff like that and basically the police and the the town councils didn't want to press the issue for a number of reasons but one that clearly stands out among them is not to stoke racial animosity right and so you know there was also things with you know a lot of these girls who were being abducted were coming from low-income families and you know, you, you have to say that there's a little bit of sexism and not believing victims, you know, in there as well. But most certainly this racial thing was, and it came out in like documents and right. letters back and forth from police chiefs to. Right. To, it was dubbed the conspiracy of silence and, and yeah. mainstream media, you know, exposed this and, and, and actually ran, 
yeah, really good actually, reporting on uh, it. Andrew Norfolk of the London Times was like right at the forefront. And, uh, you know, he reported that the police and councils had known about it for over 10 years. In August 2014, the Jay Report concluded that an estimated 1,400 children, again, most of them white girls, had been sexually abused in Rotherham between 1997 and 2013 by the predominantly British-Pakistani uh, ring. There were also some Kurdish and Kosovoan men who were involved in that. And, and I understand. All of them Muslim. I understand the desire not to stoke the fires of racism, racism. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we look at things that happen in America like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they do, you know, the Sandusky stuff, uh, the yeah. Olympic, uh, the Olympic coach who yeah. was molesting little girls. Yeah. And we don't rake his, their religion through the coals. Right. When these things happen, we don't say, Oh, look at these white Christian men doing this terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and reflect that, uh, onto the religion, you know, we we don't we don't do that. So I can understand, um, in the face of a large group of people who are doing that with with Islam, mm-hmm. you know, not wanting to feed into those fires. I get it. I understand do why. You think if if the guy uh, with the U.S. gymnastics team, uh, that's one of the guys I think you were referring to, if he had been an evangelical Christian, do you think that wouldn't have played? Or if he'd have been a Catholic, do you think that wouldn't have played a part? <sighs> And I don't know. He may well be. Maybe, maybe hard, he is. Hard never to say. Heard about it, you know. I mean, he's a white guy in America. Chances are, yeah, we're rolling the yeah. dice. You know. Well, it turns out in in England at least, at least they also found similar rings in the cities of Derby, Huddersfield, Rokedale, and Oxford. Mm. So this is widespread. And one of the things to note is often in Europe, and you know, especially in this case in London, what you saw. Uh, when this got reported on the news was that Asian men had been kidnapping these girls. And so it is true that Pakistan <laughs> lies in Asia. Asia. Yeah, it's an Asiatic country. But I think that's what I'm saying. We are so afraid of of that connection that we're starting to distort the truth. And I'm sure that, you know, uh, Chinese uh you know, British Chinese people probably did not appreciate that very much at all. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Hearing <laughs> yeah, you're reading this article. rings of Asian men. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. So it, it just, I think, I think you're right. And I think we have to be careful anytime that we, that we talk about these things, that we don't give in to the right wing's hardcore narrative that Islam is completely incompatible with Western values and will... You know, uh, they and they we'll focus be, in. We'll on, be cutting off hands in ten years yeah. if we allow you know migrants in and focusing in on the jihadists and and so on and so forth. But at the same time, we we're starting to erect a narrative on the left that says that there's nothing with Islam that's incompatible with you know our our way of life. There's no problems, no kinks and stuff. When look no further than the problems that the left itself has raised with Christianity and say, well, what's the difference? And look at the parallels. Where, right. Whereas Christianity, um, in, in a large part, is far more moderated than right. Islam. Even though it, we've drawn parallels throughout this episode. I mean, kicking and screaming. But and, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, over and over and over. But when you, when you look at the, the data, yeah. you know, the distribution, uh, Islam is far behind the pack when it comes to moderation, right. it is far behind. I mean, you do mm-hmm. not have Christian countries 
who are who are executing homosexuals in mass. There might be a few here and there. Yeah, there's uh, one or Uganda, two. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure there. I'm sure there are a couple more, especially uh, you know African countries, maybe in the uh, the Baltics. Sure, know. sure, yeah. but largely um, Islam has not moderated nearly as much as, as Christianity and in some places is getting worse. I mean, when you look yeah. at some of the Middle Eastern Muslim countries, um, you used to be able to walk around without a hijab as a woman. And, and nowadays, right. you know, not so much 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You can see, you can go online and there's actually fairly often crops up pictures uh, from Iran, like back in the sixties the and seventies and stuff. And you, you would think that that was in an LA club, right. you know, of the same time period. Like you'd have no idea that we were actually in Iran when that picture was taken. I, but there has been a strain of, of, you know, ultra Orthodox, ultra fundamentalist, uh, you know, uh, is Islam that has kind of gotten a serious hold and a serious grip in a lot of these countries. So I don't think, I don't think the question is necessarily that it is unique or that it is special to Islam or, or that it is anything, you know, inherent no, baby, in Islam. far from that. But the question is, why do we consider it something that is different than what Jerry Falwell does? Right. Because they are the, they are the same animal. They're the no. same animal. They're just in different different states of progression, right? right? Like right. <laughs> you know, larva versus a full grown full grown beast. And 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 my problem is that the narrative on the left has also in in the face of Trump, in the face of um, um, anti immigration and and white nationalism, um, the tendency. I want to be careful how I say this. Has has become to demonize anyone who criticizes Islam, right? right? Even the sane voices who are not being bigoted, right. um, who are not saying all Muslims are evil, um, you know, disallow all brown people from, from entering the country, they're still being criticized as bigots. Right. Um, and, and publicly. Yeah. And, and you've got Twitter mobs harassing them and haranguing them and calling them Nazis well, and things. Well, go no farther than uh, Majid Nawaz, who, you know, I believe he's over in England. Uh, he is a, a, a moderate... Uh, a practicing Muslim, uh, and you know, seeks, you know, he wants Islam to reform and, you know, sometimes like his personal views can fall, you know, they can fall right. They can fall kind of left. I mean, he lives in Europe. So I think, you know, he's well to the left of our right, put it that way, you know, <laughs> but, uh, the SPLC, uh, labeled him, uh, you know, put him on their hate list, right. Put him on, you their know, hate and list. he actually successfully sued to get himself removed. And, and the SPLC issued a, a pretty good apology, although I think it showed some serious cracks in the SPLC as an organization. Right. They said, sorry, we didn't do our research. Uh, when we've looked into your views deeper, we've realized, oops, it was a mistake to put you on the hate group list. Yeah. However, you got to wonder why he slipped through the cracks to begin with, <laughs> Are right? You, how, how many other people do you have on your list that you didn't look into their <laughs> right, views? Right, that you, you didn't know? look into. Like, if you just looked a little deeper, you'd have realized it. Yeah. And, and how did he get there? You know, right. you, gotta, yeah. you gotta wonder. And to me, this guy is, is, is the perfect example of, of what we need in order for Islam to become compatible with, with democratic values, right? Mm -hmm. We need... Islam to moderate. Now, whether that happens from the inside uh, as a result of pressure from the outside, I think that's how it typically happens. You know, yeah. I don't think well, I don't I think, think that's how it we have much right. I know? don't think we have much success in in forcing 
religion out through right. government, right? So I think the process happens, uh, you know, look at look at America. Muslims come to America, and, and overwhelmingly their views start to get less and less extreme right. over time. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's because of societal pressure, you know? Homie, don't play that, right, dog. Right. You come to America and you want to hate gay people? Like, most cities in America, that's not going to fly, man. Well, I will say this, though. I, I think that that is only if we keep on the course that we have traditionally taken with religion, mm. right? So, for instance, there was a big kerfluffle this week, and it actually dovetailed nicely. We'd already decided to do this episode. but So there was a whole thing about uh, the girl who's in the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, and she's wearing, what do they call it, a burkini? A burkini, yeah. And, and a hijab. And so, you know, of course, uh, the left and the right, you know, they're all up in arms about it. But it, but it, it, bring, it does bring up a good question, right? Are we tolerating the fact that she wears the hijab or are we promoting and celebrating this, this part of modesty culture? Right. Because how weird would it be if, you know, again, did the, you, did you see the Photoshop of the, the Baptist girl with the, no, with the ankle length skirt? No, I did not and, see that. And the button up, you know, collar that comes up to her ears. Right. Oh yeah. And, and you look at that. And you have a totally different reaction because yeah. no one in their right mind would hold that up as an example and put it on the cover of Sports Illustrated, right? right? Like right. It, you look at that and you scratch your head and then you look at the Islamic and you don't quite have the same reaction. You're like, yeah. oh, there's, you know, there's, yeah, we're celebrating, uh, you know, Islamic culture. Yeah. And, and that's where I get really screwed up on this issue because to me... You know, it goes back to to drawing the parallels between Islam and Christianity. You're almost like you guys should be hand in hand, yeah. you know, skipping down the sidewalk together, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, sharing a soda with with two straws. Right, you know right, what I'm saying? Yeah. You guys are so alike. So why is it that that people on the left will defend Sports Illustrated for putting a Muslim woman in a burkini and hijab on the cover, yeah. but guarantee you they they hold up a Baptist with the long skirt in the same light? And and well, they're not going to support it. They're the, going to decry the, it. The show I mentioned, the 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 nineteen and counting with the kids, or or the the what is the and uh, we do and, and the people, sister wives show. People that is watch lampoon. that. It is lampoon, but right? No, but that, but they watch, watch it, it with their tongue in their cheek. Exactly. It's, yeah. Exactly. It's it's not. It's not. It's a. It's kind of a joke, right? Right. And right. and the Sports Illustrated thing isn't a joke. That's like this big virtue signal from Sports Illustrated. Like, oh, look at how, you know, look at how compassionate we are. Well, buddy, yeah. I'm an American, and that shit don't fly here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, yeah. I, if you want to wear a hijab, and and maybe she does. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But and that is and that is. I'd like to take a second and say everything that I saw from that that model. Um, was great. You know, she said something about not seeing, you know, people like her in the Sports Illustrated swims. I'm not sure if there hasn't been people like her. There haven't been people wearing a hijab. That's that's to me, there's a little bit of a difference there. You know what I mean? But I got the impression from reading her quotes that like she wasn't necessarily trying to politicize anything and was just happy to be oh there. but you sports illustrated was well, and they got a sports huge illustrated boost was, on commentators and were, twitter i'm just saying they for love the love controversy God, nobody ascribed negative uh intentions to that girl she seemed like a <laughs> right, what I'm saying. Sure. You know what I mean? sure but but you gotta think man like 
It, it, they knew it was going to cause controversy, and absolutely, and they don't care. It's like know? Nike putting out the Nike hijabs. Exactly, and, and so it's so going to cause it's free advertisement. You share, and you, you mm-hmm. dislike it or you like it, and they, it's still Nike in front of you know ten million people that I, it wouldn't have been in front of the I day believe, before. And Beanzo can double check me on this, but I believe there was an incident with Nike in particular who posted online, or at least somebody did. Uh, a company had post; it had to be Nike. Posted online a uh, a female chess player, I want to say it was, or some you know something that could be justified as an athlete, and they were celebrating the Nike hijab or whatever, and they put up a picture of her photoshopped with a hijab on, and she got real mad because she left Iran to get away from stuff <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? And she was like, "My goodness!" And that's that's kind of what I'm saying. We are tripping our tripping over ourselves to accommodate uh you know the other cultures and stuff like that and and i get it man i get it when you see the hate attacks and when you see the racism and all that stuff you do have to offset that stuff a little bit but at the same time you can't lose sight of what your values are of of what your principles are and modesty culture is not necessarily compatible with our our principles uh, necessarily it's not at all i don't i don't think it is at all i mean very small groups of people in America, but right, uh, but for 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 f's sake, man, you've got countries where this is the law, yeah, and you're fined or imprisoned for not following it. So, to me, that's that's a conversation we need to have, right? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when we're talking about political candidates, um, the political candidates on the left tend to avoid any uh, you know any criticism of Islam at all. Mm -hmm. They just won't do it. And political candidates on the right tend to go to the extreme of, you know, Islam bad. There's Sharia in your bacon. There's Sharia in your... Yeah, exactly. Like every day. So so for a person like me, who I feel like I have... uh, And I I know I have legitimate complaints because my complaints are the same about the Christians and they're the same about the Muslims, right? I hold them in in the same esteem. Like, I'm scared of y'all. I don't want y'all in my government uh, because it tends to go really bad. So I feel like neither side comes anywhere near to representing my views. And right. and to me this is one of the issues that that defines the age we're in right now, right? Mm-hmm. Religion is 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 on a decline in some ways, but also in this period of 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 weird growth and extremism mm-hmm. um in other ways. So like it's an issue we should all be worried about. Right. We are at a point where um American values are being transformed from from something that we all share. I mean, heck, you look at look at Obama's speeches, mm-hmm. you know, from from six years ago, and and he said a lot of the same thing Trump has said about immigrants. You know, right. this was typically a position that all Americas all Americans held was like uh, that 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 we need to be careful, be wary um, as we import immigrants and and ensure that they have pathways to assimilate. Right. Well, now we're in a position where on on the left. You're 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 a bigot just for thinking that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And on the right, you've got to be a bigot to join the yeah. conversation. No, so absolutely. it leaves people like me out in the cold. And I feel like I feel like I have a sane, a sane point of view, right? Like right. I I want people to be able to come to America and 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 be comfortable and build a life. And I want yeah. them to bring the best parts of their culture with them. Right. I also want them to leave the worst parts at the door because right. we've already figured that out mm-hmm. is, is how I feel, you know, freedom, liberty, justice for all. 
Yeah. Um, not just for Muslims, yeah. not just for Christians. Right. Um, these are the things that that make America great. These are the reasons that people are leaving their Muslim countries. Right. To come to America. Yeah. yeah. So so in order to to protect that, we have to be vigilant. Yeah. And if if people are calling me a bigot for my vigilance, yeah. like we're we're going the wrong way. So, so I don't know what to do. You know, like I think the question becomes, how do we do both? Right. How do we accept Islam and also help Islam to assimilate or moderate or whatever you want to call it? Um, especially in the face of, of rising, you know, extremism on the right. Yeah. Well, for me, I would say, you know, again, to kind of circle back to your point is look at what we did with Christianity, right? So obviously we didn't have a choice because of the Christian majority that we've talked about, but we were, we were tolerant of Christian views, but we drew hard lines. Mm. We said, you know, we're not going to pray in the middle of school anymore. We're not going to do this or X or Y, you know, abortion, you know, your Christian beliefs are not going to dictate We're in Kentucky, you know, Kim Davis, we're we're in the the Bible thumping, you know, red state Kentucky. And, and we had the the gall and the balls to stand up and and make sure Kim Davis couldn't enforce her institutional bigotry. You know, and Kim Davis is the one who was trying to block uh, marriage, not sign marriage licenses for gay people, you know? So, so even, (laughs) even in, in Kentucky, we can do it. Yeah. So I think, you know, with, with Christianity, um, even though we were, we were tolerant, we held that firm line and we said, if, if you want to, you know, for instance, I actually, I just recently moved my mom. Right. And she didn't have a lot of help moving and stuff. Her and my grandma haven't been able to attend the church that they used to go to for quite some time because of my grandma's health issues. And yet still five people from that church showed up to help me move her. Right. There's nothing wrong with that, like that sense of community, that, that religion and stuff, but it's, 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 it's within, we, we have a very clear boundary for it when it comes to Christianity. Mm. We say, so long as you know, that's what you're doing over there. You're fine. You're free to do whatever you want. If you want to be a Satanist, you're free to do whatever you, if you want to be a Buddhist, you're free to do whatever you want. Don't sacrifice animals. And, and 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 to an extent, we will afford a respect to your views. But if I'm going to point out that in the you know uh, Christian religion, it said that it was you know okay to stone a gay man, or that in the Bible it says you know you can beat your wife with a stick, I'm not going to get hit with a fine for saying that. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Like yeah. like when it starts to affect other people, when it starts to spill out. Or when the government starts to get a hold of it, that is what we are holding you to. So now, Christians, it's your job to make your religion fit within those confines, and, right? And they have to a large right. degree. I mean, and and fairly rapidly. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about the slow trickle of history, and and not to say that they don't try to creep back out. And what do we all do? We all say no. We all, you know, we shame them in some respects. You know. Uh, we, we outwork them, you know, like for instance, with gay marriage, I mean, look, gay marriage is almost one of the most perfect examples, man. You had all this opposition to gay marriage. People stood up, you know, we voted and stuff and it it went to the Supreme court and and all that. But basically it come down. We said there is going to be gay marriage. Well, now if you look at the poll numbers, 
Christianity is rapidly falling in line with that. Right. You know, it's like now how do you know, four years later, how do you feel about Christianity? Well, you know, I guess it ain't so bad, you know? Okay. So as long as we're willing to hold Islam to that standard to say, Hey, you know what? If, if you want to wear a hijab, that's fine. But none of the rest of us are really into that. So, you know, we're not really going to celebrate it. You wear it. And, and we are right in saying that nobody should, should beat you or hit you or do anything to you <laughs> right. for wearing that hijab. But I'm, you know, I'm not going to do like huge ad campaigns about the hijab. We're not mm-hmm. all going to clap hands because of how brave you were to wear the hijab and stuff because it's, it's, it's kind of dumb. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if we took that approach, then the pressure falls back inside. Uh, and, I, and I think we are largely in America for the most part with excesses on both sides. But the pressure falls within the group for them to start working out, okay, well, then how do we operate within this? Right. But sitting back and saying, hey, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. Uh, the only criticism that you ever take is born of racism. You know, I mean, like, for, I remember when Sam Harris, who is a, you know, a fairly popular atheist, caught all kinds of hell for going on politically incorrect with Bill Maher. And, you know, he was saying a lot of the same things that we're saying. And Sam does go a little bit farther. He makes the argument. He's, he's a very hardcore atheist. And he makes the argument, which I, I think he sort of makes with Christianity and any religion, but especially with Islam, that some of the, the violent nature of, you know, jihad and whatnot mm-hmm. is baked into Islam. And right? it is. And I, I think. That doesn't mean you, can, you can't unbake it. Right. I mean, I, so for instance, uh, terrible I, things are baked into Christianity. Well, here's the thing. I think you can make the argument that, right, that it was baked into Christianity, right? Like you kind of, if you were looking at Orthodox Christianity in 1400, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> then, then you absolutely did have to seek out and kill the infidels and stuff. And so, you know, he was making that point and he was widely denounced. Ben Affleck went apeshit on him and stuff. And then there came, there was this really interesting thing where this, this stuff popped up online. He had written a book where he, where he presented what he called a thought experiment, right? And he said, if a predominantly fundamentalist Muslim country gets a hold of nuclear weapons, does America have an obligation to strike first? He's saying that if you have ideologues in somewhere like you know, Saudi Arabia, Iran, something like that, and they are on the Islamic State stuff, and they get a nuclear weapon. And by that, you mean kill the infidels, the unbelievers. Yeah, yeah, they are, yeah, yeah, kill the infidels and unbelievers. And their government gets a hold of uh, a nuclear weapon, should we not launch first, mm. right? He was lambasted for this. This is so racist. And I'm sitting there thinking, that's a practical concern. (laughs) You know, I mean, they. I I don't like to do the whole 9-11 every five minutes thing. Like, you know, I think it gets ridiculous. But there are groups, clearly, as we've seen throughout, you know, uh, attacks recently in Sri Lanka, 9-11, you know, various other attacks that believe that. If they get a hold of a nuclear weapon, is that a concern? I don't ever want to launch a nuclear weapon. But... Yeah, it's something we got to deal with. It's a concern, man. Right. And it is not bigoted and racist to raise that concern. No, not at all. In fact, then at that point, you're doing the opposite of what we did with Christianity. With Christianity, we said, hey, you guys don't always have everybody's best interests at heart because you're so concerned with God. So these are the ways that we need to check you and box you in. And we, if we lose that, if we lose that frame of reference, with Islam, then we risk 
uh, inviting in Islamic extremism. Yeah. I mean, we, we, do. we do. I don't think there's any argument for that. Um, the question is, you know, how do we find that middle ground? And that's, that's what this show is, is all about is finding mm-hmm. the middle ground. And, you know, people, people have called me a centrist for the sake of being a centrist, but man, I, I don't think that plays. I, I I'm a centrist because neither side represents my position. Right. Um, and because I recognize the fear and, and, and the truth in the right, and I recognize the love and acceptance in the left at the same time, right? right? Like, like those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Like, yeah, I'm damn afraid of religious extremists getting hold of the U.S. government. You know, right. we've and what we've got two Muslim politicians now, maybe three Muslim politicians <laughs> yeah, yeah. in Congress now. Like, whoop de doo, it's not a big yeah. threat, but it is a threat. I mean, when you look at when you look at Islamic extremism across the world, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a threat. It's real. At the same time. I see Muslims who are perfectly capable of of assimilating, who are perfectly capable of compassion and love, and 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 man, they're humans. We're humans. We make mistakes. You look at you look at Dia Khan. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, make friends with a Muslim. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, man. I I it, it's like it's like being torn between two sides, like your mom and your dad. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I love you, mom. I love you, dad. Y'all hate each other now. Fuck. What, yeah, am, yeah. You know, what am I going to do? I'm stuck in the middle. I don't know how we come out of this, but to me, like, this is one of those defining issues and, and neither side is playing it well right now. Right. At all. Um, and, and, I, and I almost feel like we're, we're at risk of like a holy war. Yeah. I mean, you got mosques burning and, and church attacks, um, You've got, you know, the British government coming out with this report saying Christians are the most persecuted religion in the world and right. that the numbers are reaching near genocidal levels. Um, meanwhile, in China, they're putting Muslims in, in concentration camps, you know, yeah. and that's not where we want to go either. Right. Um, so, so what, no, you I know, do, I wh- do think, yeah, I mean, you can very much in those two instances, you can see the parallels, I think. You know, that that report from Britain that's talking about the genocidal levels, it's being met with criticism and stuff. These are the same people who, after, again, the Sri Lanka attack recently and, you know, on Easter and stuff, I, you know, there was like, there was a story about it and then it just kind of faded out. You know, nobody wanted to say anything. Then you look at what would, what, and that, you know, to me, I consider that like the leftist approach, right? And it's like, these things aren't happening. You know, everything's fine. <laughs> and then you look at the the right approach, and I think it very does. If, if, if we unchain them and leave them to their own devices, it very much so does turn into something where, like China, we're going to start putting Islamic people in concentration camps. Yeah. And the responses from the the respective groups is going to be something akin to a holy war. In Denmark, which we've mentioned on the show before, uh, as they've taken in the refugees, they have instituted a policy where where they have large concentrations of refugees. They designate those areas ghettos. And your children have to go to Danish citizenship classes where they're instructed on the traditions, the, the Danish traditions of uh, Christmas Easter and, Christmas. and Easter <laughs> and how to be good Danish citizens or you don't get benefits. Well, I think that that will spark a wait, reaction. Wait, 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 wait. They withhold your benefits if you don't go to Danish re-education camps? Right. They, they Exactly, which is a whole other argument about why I don't like benefits. But anyway, <laughs> why I don't like a reliance on benefits. But anyway, um, I think that the, the, 
the reaction that you'll see is you'll start to see those refugee communities and, and Islamic communities, if they can, you know, gather citizenship and suffrage and stuff, start to vote in politicians that take the opposite approach. And then, yes, our, our actual like government debates will become more of a holy war type scenario where you have the Christian politicians and the Muslim politicians trying to find some middle ground. And that doesn't help us who aren't on that shit God, at all. Demo at all. Democrat versus Republican is bad enough, yeah, man. <laughs> man. No doubt. And we're, we're miles away from that here in America, but yeah. it's, we are, we are opening the door to that type of scenario with the approaches that we're taking on either side. Right. And I, I think, I think the extremes of the left are, are pushing people towards the extreme. Well, they're pushing out on each other. It's like it's like a magnetic poles, right? They're pushing each other towards the extremes further and further. We're getting farther from the center, and I, I don't think that's a good thing. I think that only ends bad on either side. Absolutely. Speaking of ending bad. Yeah, yeah that was, <laughs> I'm proud of you for that one. I didn't see it coming, man. But uh, yeah, it is time to kick it to our fact checker extraordinaire, Beanzo, for his terrible segment where he goes through and picks us apart for all the things that we got wrong today. And I, I'm just going to go out on a limb here because this is a pet topic for him and say that there are a load of corrections today. I wouldn't doubt it a bit. Beanzo, what you got? Buddies and sisters. Once again, my message of truth and hope is beset from the start by the lies of the deceivers. Since in theory would malign the work of a modest and humble shepherd doing his best to tend his flock. But we've seen this before. I say, buddies, we've seen this before, and we shall see it again. The primrose path to inaccuracy and falsehood these two would lay before you is wide and smooth. We reject the easy road though. We don't play loose with our facts and figures. We ain't no strangers to that rocky research laden narrow path of the truth, are we? Theory tries to tell us Nike photoshopped the hijab on an Iranian chess player, but it wasn't a chess player. I said it wasn't a chess player. Can I get an amen? It was Miriam Mirzahani, a Fields Medal-winning mathematician. Not today, devil. Then here comes sense. Sense wanna tell us? If a woman wants to cover her face, she's free to do so in America. But there's anti-mask laws and the like all around the country. Can I get a amen? I said there's laws around the country preventing folk from doing just that. Be gone, deceiver. Buddies, this is a war, and I need you all to be warriors for the truth. Resist the pull, the temptation that these two Philistines gave into so long ago. These infidels doing episodes saying racism and critiques of Islam don't go hand in hand. Then they almost exclusively talk about Middle Eastern countries, never once mentioning Indonesia, the largest Muslim country in the world. And I need you all to be warriors for the truth. Resist the pull, the temptation that these two Philistines gave into so long ago. These infidels do an episode saying racism and critiques of Islam don't go hand in hand. Then they almost exclusively talk about Middle Eastern countries, never once mentioning Indonesia, the largest Muslim country in the world. They'll tell you it's okay to be Satanist in America, 
though the Satanist temple only recently secured formal recognition through tax exemption. It's a wide path indeed, buddies. A wide path. If these two can't bother to learn convicted gymnast molester Larry Nasser's name, is it any wonder the mainstream media took a white guy why bother approach to his religion? Don't let the sultry sounds from their golden fiddles lead you away from the glorious and bountiful light of the truth, buddies. Don't let them fill your heads with half-truths and fallacies. Wash yourself in the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now let's start passing that Patreon plate around. Make sure they get it in the back there. Fellas, back to you. Jesus Christ, man. Praise the Lord. Oh, my God. All right. Look, hey, folks, like we said at the top of the show, you know, this was this was a tough episode. And, you know, we tried to we tried to take a fair and balanced approach. You and know? yeah, and, at least it, approach it with respect and uh, the research that the topic deserves. Absolutely. But, you know, it it really feels like you're walking a tightrope and it's hard to kind of, you know, maintain that walk when you're trying to weigh those two considerations against themselves. Right. I, I, I think. My favorite modern philosopher probably sums it up best. Is it cool that I said all that? Is it too soon to do this yet? Because I know that it's delicate. It's delicate. Your your favorite modern philosopher? Yeah. Philosopher. Mm-hmm. Right. You know who looked really good in a burkini? Oh, gee. I, Dolly Parton. Taylor Swift. <laughs> Hey y'all, this is Beanzo, beloved star of the critically acclaimed show The Bean Pod. I want to thank all of you for taking a moment to check out my side project, The Sense and Theory Podcast. Remember, if you need an extra dose of truth and integrity between shows, you can find all the links to contact my social media team at senseandtheorypodcast.com. You can also join the movement that's sweeping the nation by donating five bucks a month and becoming an official Beanzo buddy at patreon.com slash senseandtheory. And finally, don't forget that my segments normally start somewhere between 55 minutes or an hour in. So you can always just skip ahead to the best part. This is your gracious host, Beanzo, signing off.